0: And welcome to Standing in the Stream, a podcast for and about creative people. I'm your host, John Lane. This week I'm calling our episode a supplemental, as it features a long-form interview submitted by one of my previous guests, Atlanta-based artist Craig Dongoski. Craig speaks with three of his art students, who were also his collaborators, on a project that combined art, free jazz... Uh, the Sound of Drawing, and uh, film uh, called Passing Through, and I'll let Craig describe that work. He, he goes into some detail about that, which is mostly what the interview is about, but Craig's work is really interesting, and uh, it explores the intersections of a variety of different artistic disciplines, and, and this project is no exception, so it's a perfect fit uh, for the podcast. I visited Craig back in in the spring when they were still working on this project, so I'm really excited to hear more about it, too. Before I turn it over to Craig, I wanted to make sure and ask that if you're listening on iTunes, make sure and subscribe, if you can, and rate or review the show. I've been a little bit slow in getting to conversations in the last few weeks as things have just been very active at the university, but I will be back at it soon enough. Coming up soon, I have a chat with a Canadian composer Monica Pierce, who was just our composer in residence here at Sam Houston State, so stay tuned for more conversations and enjoy this supplemental episode by Craig Dongoski.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is Craig Dongoski. I'm an artist based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I teach at, I'm a professor at Georgia State in the uh, painting and drawing department, and uh, with a special emphasis in media. In particular, I work with uh, the sounds of inscription, and so it, it allows me to bridge the gaps between sort of what might be called the conventional realm of studio practice and into uh, areas of uh, what was also known as media or uh, telematics explorations. And today I have uh, three of my current students and collaborators sitting here with me who were part of a, a large project called Passing Through which was based on a film by Larry Clark that centered around free jazz and it was done in the, in the, uh, 1977 and specialized uh, in sort of making free jazz a uh, central character to a film. There's a lot of implications. People who are interested in jazz should certainly know about it if they don't, they don't know yet. And what I have here are um, three of our, the five artists who participated in this project, which was an offshoot of Larry Clark's visit and screening of the film and turned into at first a critique with these students. Larry Clark also should be mentioned that he was trained as a painter and uh, gave me the idea that uh, it would be interesting for him to interface and then ended up becoming a performance and the performance ended up becoming vinyl uh, LP which uh, we're going to be playing off and on in this program. So the film not only centers around free jazz but it also centers around uh, revolutionary uh, politics around the African-American community beginning in um, or in in that time period in Los Angeles and we are sort of talking and interested in some of that legacy, both the political legacy as well as the artistic legacy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce the three of the five, and, and the, the two that are missing are, are Kevin O'Neill Peart, who is a, is a figurative painter. Uh, he wasn't able to join us today, and uh, also Anissa Wedderburn, who is, uh, kind, of, pr- kind of primarily focuses in printmaking. So the other three I'm going to introduce right now.
2: Hello, my name is Chris Emanuel. I'm a visual artist based out of Lawrenceville, Georgia. Uh, I specialize in drawing and painting. And uh, I guess I could describe my works as uh, somewhat impressionistic, uh, depicting various moods through light and color.
3: Hello, my name is Tony Sasser Jr. I'm a visual illustrator based out of Cairo, Georgia. I specialize in mythology, fantasy, and sci-fi painting. Most of my work Based, it's based around my imagination, what I can create or what from mythology and fantasy influenced me the most, to cre- the move, the way I do. Thank you.
4: Hello, I'm Timothy Short. I'm a oil painter out of Columbus, Georgia. Um, I'm currently a student un- up under Craig Dungoski at uh, Georgia State, and my artwork centers around black narratives and showing these uh, black stories through uh large mural-like renditions of of oil painting. So I also want to thank
1: John Lane, who's invited me to be on this podcast, and uh, I have another, uh, uh, I've been featured on on another one of his shows, and my colleague John Roach is going to be up, if he's not up already by the time I'm uh, uh, making this interview. And um, so I did want to uh, thank John for inviting us for this. Um, and what I'm going to do, sort of the format here, is to talk generally about, about their experience, about sort of their insights, but, and then we'll kind of oscillate between that and, and specific things about the work. I also want to mention that uh, the work will be up online uh, in, within the podcast. You will be able to view uh, the paintings alongside what, what each artist is talking about. There's also the liquidblackness.com website which has a whole uh, range of things that would that include both the painting, the exhibition, the performance, as well as uh, the the broader uh, implications of the film. So that's just some details that you can look into uh, uh, alongside of this. The first question that I'd like to throw out there and I'm just gonna throw this out to everyone is how does jazz fuel your uh, visual work and is it a necessary ingredient to your visual work?
3: If that question was asked, is music as a whole important to my work? The answer would be yes. No one genre fuels my fuels my imagination. Mm-hmm. All music does. However, but getting back to jazz, how does it fuel my work? Each line, each note creates a conceptual idea. One blow on a horn could put in a building in my mind. Mm-hmm a whole the whole composition of a bass, a horn playing together could create a scene, a theme, a story. It, it causes it the like in how in movies, the music set the mood. In my mind, that music creates that scene.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's okay. how jazz works. That's Thank how music you. in general works for me.
4: I would say my answer is this is Timothy Short. Um I would say my answer is very similar to Tony's in that uh, well, it's different in that jazz. I would say jazz is an integral part of my artwork, um, but music in gen- in general is integral in my artwork. I feel like just just like Tony said, um, upon listening to music, various images and and concepts that I would like to throw onto the canvas will like fill my mind. But jazz is was is interesting because it's a collective group of individuals coming together to create. A unique composition, and and with and when we say unique, we mean unique every time. So it's like each each rendition is 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 community based. So that is something I would love to like incorporate into my paintings, just because uh, black narratives, um, you know, it's it's never too too withholding to just one one in is psyche. It's always about a collective. So you know, that that type of community community is what I would like to. Uh, bring to my work in that element, so you know. So, know, uh, I'll just add a
1: second question to, mm-hmm. to yours, is Tim designed the album cover, and, and j- just full disclosure, Tim's work is a lot of the reason why I started this project to begin with, because I was sensing this in the studios, artists taking on this late 60s, early 70s aesthetic of jazz album covers, and as I mentioned, Larry Clark was a, was a painter, trained as a painter, and, and was very influenced by jazz album. Album covers and uh, that that whole aesthetic, and so that was a big big spark. All right, we'll go to we'll go to Chris and let let let. Uh, I guess the original question, if we reel ourselves back, was sort of what, what is your what is your relationship uh, to jazz, or how do you think that it fuels your work? I know, in this case, you were sort of tasked it, it, for the exhibition. Everyone was tasked to kind of use the film as an inspiration and some some that was closer to what they're currently doing than others but uh, but I feel like Chris's work for the exhibition he I feel really rose to the occasion and uh, you know caught a lot of the spirit of playing and and uh, when I talked to him about his work he said most of it came out of his imagination which I thought was very interesting like he just sort of caught the gestalt of, of playing and performing and and just was referencing loosely uh, certain players, and you could almost kind of project your own experience into the painting. So maybe I just answered this question, but I'm going I'm <laughs> to yeah. let him <laughs> uh,
2: let him uh, fend for himself a little bit here. I got you. Um, well, yeah, I guess you know, um, similar to both Tim and Tony, uh, my experience with jazz is uh, somewhat limited. Uh, well, specifically uh, to my a class that I had um, here at Georgia State. And, um, I don't know a lot about the history as, or as in, like, I can't, you know, recall a lot of names or, um, specific moments, but I do respect jazz as a, as an art form. And, um, definitely when you, you know, assigned us with the task of creating pieces for the show, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, grab hold of that spirit that, you know, I feel, um, kind of every artist, regardless of genre, kind of has to deal with, whether it's, you know, um, stage fright or just purely playing just to create and, you know, self-fulfillment. Um, so
1: you think it's, so it's a sort of maybe a metaphor for community, I mean, or it's sort of a performance of community, in a way, oh, yeah, like, definitely, like definitely. And, and so how do you, uh, you know, that Tim kind of made me think about it, and I, you know, the, the thought sort of left my, my brain, but now it's kind of back is, how do you think about maybe both of those styles in, in, in respect to language? Are they, are, they a, are they a form of language? Sometimes I, when I was watching the film, when they were playing, when they were really sort of immersed in the playing, I, I almost uh, disengaged myself, not thinking about it as music, but actually thinking that the horn was an extension of their voice. Mm-hmm. You know that it was an amplification of their voice they were able to say things that they couldn't say with kind of conventional language
3: if i could cut in here if nobody's yeah. gonna say i wouldn't necessarily okay maybe what but necessarily say it was a form of language it was more of an extension of their emotions mm. through sound we can pass through the sound of music you can pass on emotions your emotion into other people mm-hmm. you can affect people you can change their moves make them happier make them sadder and that's what jazz does that's what I wanna I wanna say every musician is capable of doing from Beethoven who had these compositions that just ignited flaming passion to to Tupac Shakur, who get tell stories that just made you sad. And just this is how this is how people are, this is how the life is here. And and jazz is no different. It, it while it was vocalist. <laughs> vocalist while I was vocalist, it did push a strong emotion depending on what it was trying to portray. Was it trying to portray Afrocentrism? Was it trying to portray love? Was it trying to push happiness? It's just depending on who you're listening to and where you're getting it from. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think I can chime in. I want to say I was reading something by Ahmad Jamal. He's a famous like free jazz, um, I guess, Post post bop jazz mm-hmm. pianist. I want to say he played with like Miles Davis, but I want to say he said that his music always has vocals, whether or not it's spoken or not. But he says when when he can't remember the vocals, he's he stops because every mm-hmm. song has like I guess like I guess a message or mm-hmm. a, or some like I guess higher purpose to it. You know that's how I interpreted mm-hmm. it. But I mean I just wanted to get that out there that. um there, there might not be an extensive like I guess phonetic language to to voice how these artists were feeling but I feel the music in itself I mean even in how it was created how it was constructed is coming from like a place of like like I guess like Chris was saying self-fulfillment and and, and what we choose to like express and like what we want to get out there so you know I feel like that's something
1: well, a couple of things occurred to me there. I can't remember one of the uh, the persons that was involved with the symposium. One of the academics that was that's writing about the film was up on the stage at that fantastic screening. I got so much more out of it uh, that when they screened it at the Rialto, uh, which is our or not the Rialto, the Recital Hall, which is one of our uh, performing st- stages here at Georgia State. Um, but but the The speakers that were talking afterwards the the one on the the far left I can't remember his name, but he was talking about when the musicians are up on stage, and he what I think he was doing was he was he was countering what people's typical association with free jazz is where it's just a bunch of noise and dissonance and c- cacophony and one of the ways that, that i learned about free jazz, and the way I kind of think about it, and, it, and it's, it's always made sense when I learned about it this way, was Ornette Coleman was the one who, who coined the name uh, free jazz, and there was a story of him and John Coltrane walking after a performance one night, and, they were, and Coltrane was trying to understand what free jazz was and what it meant and you know, within you know, sort of Coleman's invention, and Coleman said that free jazz was about texture and that the jazz up to this point was about tone and that they were sort of exploring another kind of uh, aspect of, of sound and, and was describing it in the form of texture. And, and then I also, kind of in the spirit of what we're just talking about right here, I, that, that, what that uh, person was saying was, the person at the uh, uh, screening was saying was that the musicians would be up there and all those songs are are part of something, and they, you know, so they collectively, whether it's unconsciously or or through their through their kind of internal system, they 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 could pick up these folk songs or these songs that were way back when, and they could just be a little tiny fragment on them. And and so, in order to play this, you had to be in tune, and that's maybe why I was prompted by asking if you thought it was a language, like they're sort mm-hmm. of telling history, like you would a folk tale or something like this, and then but but perhaps this sort of n- new approach by thinking about it as, <coughs> as texture rather than tone, which might be more accessible and li- literal, that you're even speaking a more evolved language. You, you know, I think it was, uh, Cornel West says something about like jazz he uses to think, you know, like it, 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 it is an advanced kind of form because it's it's being played and in, in, in at the height when, when abstract expressionism is happening, right, in the mm-hmm. 50s and 60s, so there's a whole kind of zeitgeist about pushing painting into almost this kind of spiritual transcendent realm, but then the same perhaps is happening with music. I don't know if I have a question there, but I... (laughs) I, uh, So anyway, let's just do one of my spontaneous questions now. (laughs) So I brought... I I do this with with students. I have this this project where I ask interview questions and we do things with um, some of the answers sometimes, uh, and and a lot of times it's just to sort of provoke other conversations. So, I have a I have a green book, which has projects in it, and students are definitely afraid of that. <laughs> and uh, the only thing I tell them the only thing worse than the green book is, is the purple box which I have here right now. So uh, so so yes, if you hear people shrieking in the background, uh, it's because the purple box is here. Um, so. I'm just gonna pull out a spontaneous uh, question and I'll just do it, uh, just do it generally.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Explain the difference between ritual and routine.
3: Ritual and routine. I think it mostly falls down to mindset. A routine is just something, to me, something you get into and day by day, week by week and this thing you know you're doing it without even thinking about it. Your muscle memory is just continuing the action. Ritual is something that's more special. It's going to break your routine. It's something you're going to prepare for maybe an hour, maybe a week, maybe months ahead of time. And then it works towards something different that might, might be able to meld into your routine, but ultimately, ultimately it's going to separate from your routine. Which is why it's
1: a ritual. Or you could do what's the di- what's the similarities between ritual and routine?
4: And I think the difference is, um, I guess, the amount of like critical thought that is attached to it. Like mm-hmm. you know, routine, you're not really, you know, you're not really thinking about it. Just like Tony said, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing. It's it's like almost rehearsed because day by day you're doing it. So you know. But ritual is more of a, it's not commonplace, you know, so it's, you know, you're actually like taking in everything while while you're going on with, I guess, this action. So it's like, I guess, a more specific, I guess, critical thought going on with it, I guess.
1: So could brushing your teeth be a ritual and say going to communion be a routine, depending on the attitude and how you...
2: I think. Oh, oh. Yeah. Sir, no. I was just gonna say, uh, I think it also just has to do like how involved you are in the act, you know. Um, Like your intent, maybe. Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. So you know, with ritual, you're a bit more involved. You're a bit more, you know, into it. Whereas a routine, it's it's just more, you know, procedural. And that's what I think. Tim was saying about the sort of the mind mindfulness that's there.
3: Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, I I was gonna play with your your example with the brushing your teeth. Brushing your teeth is a routine for a hygienic person. Getting up, (laughs) getting up every morning or late at night or both, putting your toothpaste on your brush and going at it. But for most people, that's just. Well, for some people, that's just it. Ritual would be, oh, I got mouthwash or I got dental floss. I'm finna use that now. Mm And then eventually, once that run out and they don't go to get no more, they go back to just brushing their teeth. Mm-hmm. So, so what, was, what would be the difference? The difference is...
4: The thought that went into it or... Yes. The, yes. Extra-ness or yes extra? uh, the extra-ness? <laughs> sorry, but yes. The it's extra The extra it's the, <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: the... It's the the flaws in the mouthwash. It's the ritual because it's not something they always break into their routine when it comes to keeping their teeth clean.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: they're breaking it apart from just brushing their teeth and adding an extra two steps to it.
4: Okay, okay.
1: Okay, so let's talk about one of the things, you know, that I was saying within my own work I'm exploring the sort of relationship between drawing and writing, uh, and that's kind of done by way of the sound of inscription. So a lot of my work on John's uh, earlier podcast, I, I talked about a lot of that. But one of the things that I do is is, uh, amplify boards so that that marks are are amplified and can be used as as ways to guide the hand or ways to guide the mind. And we did some of that. Uh, That's that's what's featured on on the LP, where uh, I borrowed it from, I sort of, I guess, conscripted a little bit from a a Stockhausen uh, piece called uh, It. It, 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 There's also a word. I I think it's from the uh, Songs for the Youth I, I can't remember how to pronounce it in German. But everyone was instructed, I had uh, five or six uh, musicians come to, to the critique and then we had our, our artists, our five or six artists uh, attend and they were instructed to meditate for fifteen minutes and whenever they had a thought they were either to place a mark on the table or, or on their paper or if they were musicians they were instructed to uh, play play a note. And uh, Larry uh, uh, Clark was uh, participating in this as well. He had the amplified board and then the second part was they were just to meander along with their hands or if they were playing they were just meandering along with their playing and whenever they had a thought they were instructed to stop. And so we, we mixed that together. That became a very multimedia performance and then then our third set what we did was I was videoing uh, Larry's hands the whole time so we projected the hands on the screen and the musicians and the artists just followed his hands sort of as a conductor and so that's just a little bit of a setup but what I'm, what I want to do is is maybe Uh, kind of get to the specifics because I know a lot of the audience on this podcast is interested in in sound and how experimental sound is is sort of used and approached. We've been talking a lot about music kind of in the conventional sense right now, but now let's talk a little bit about some of your thoughts with maybe the more, um, I guess, experimental or unconventional uses of sound. And maybe to add to this uh, or or implying a question that I've been interested in a long time that that what is the relationship between the orchestral avant-garde in other words people like Schoenberg and Dvorak and uh, Cage and Stockhausen with jazz you know those are two idioms that are happening at the same time and uh, I'm finding the more I move along with my own research that there are more connections and more. Like I was just on online the other day, uh, listening to. I was playing some stuff off YouTube uh, for the class and and wanted to listen to some Art Tatum and then I found out that here's this piece by Art Tatum where he is playing Dvorak, you know. And there's 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 uh, 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 one with uh, uh, an anecdote of Charlie Parker at Birdland playing and he bursts out of bit of Rites of Spring and actually uh, Stravinsky was in the audience and the story was he spilled the scotch all over him. He couldn't believe it. You know? So, <laughs> so I, you know, I think those two things seem kind of separate. They seem like two different genres, but there's increasing evidence that these guys are actually interfacing more. But the simple question is, what, what I'm getting at with this with this long, actually it's two parts. So the, the, the first part of the question is, after I kind of laid out what we did, the, the content on the album.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, what are some of your thoughts about that? Like, like, so you're you're specifically kind of trained as a painter, but now I'm bringing you into this realm where you're where you're you're interfacing with musicians. But both of you are kind of out of your element. They're not really playing music in the way that they normally play, and you're not really drawing in the way you you normally draw. So you you're both kind of in this uh, maybe awkward, uncomfortable place so so everybody's kind of uh, you know on a level playing field in a way because cause you're out of your element?
3: I, w- I would say for me the being out, out of the element part was the m- meditation part of it, not really the music. Because being from someone who came from a game design background, music was literally pounded into us. I mean we already use it, we use it in every, to me music is a Necessity for life. I can. I honestly couldn't survive without music just like I couldn't survive without drawing. So when you brought in the idea of don't think, don't think.
1: <laughs> that was the hardest thing for you ever, wasn't it? <laughs> I
3: don't know, because every time I don't think, I guess, every time Bad I don't think. Bad things happen. I had to, <laughs> great things happen. What are you talking about, sir? <laughs> I had to tell myself, don't think about dragons. Don't think about dragons. Don't think about dragons. <laughs> Y'all know dragons will come in us eventually. But no... Uh, no, it was like I have this sound, this sound which is creating these visualizations in my head, yet I'm not supposed to think. And it was even harder when you I was told to make a mark when I don't think because I was again, you giving you play you're placing this sound in my ear and it's creating visualizations. I'm stopping that is the hardest problem. Mm-hmm. Stopping those visualizations,
1: like
3: mm-hmm. uh, you got. I forgot, I, I was sitting next to the man who was blowing the flute, and I want. I, I don't know the instrument, Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna pop, And I'm, the the music is here to be directly in my ear, and I'm thinking, Disney. Ooh, Disney X character dancing around. And then I'm listening to the man playing the bongos, and the next thing I'm thinking is, something in the outbreaks in the forests of Africa, maybe uh animal or maybe go back to the early ages of America before colonial times before the ta- the Spaniards got there before mm. back to the this age where native americans survived mm. and it was like
4: all these things So the real
1: out- power the, the the sounds were very powerful
4: visual prompts for you. Yes. Mm. Very interesting. I would I would kind of agree with Tony. I feel like the mo- the toughest part of the exercise was like emptying your mind. I am not sure I know how to do that, mm-hmm. you know. So, but <clears throat> so the
1: second one should be easy then where you're, you you know. Yeah, because you you're not when you're thinking, you're not making a mark,
4: right? Yeah. Absolutely. The second part of the exercise was easier. Was easier, but
1: yeah, everybody seems to say that the musicians say the same thing. Really? Yeah, that's surprising. For me, it's the opposite. I, you know, I'm, I can, uh, I can drain it out. You know, there's this, <laughs> there's this theory called unstruck sound, or it's a kind of a, of Eastern. Maybe it's connected to the one sound of one hand clapping. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very kind of deep thing. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting training. You know, that you're kind of aware of that, that you've got all this chatter. But, but it, it's sort of a challenge, and you can kind of see like how you have to almost really train your mind.
3: I just want to point out, I can empty my mind. My mind just doesn't stay empty for too long. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it wants to be filled right back up. So it's an inter- interesting because it seems like on the surface, the most simple thing to do, right? But then when you're really doing it, it, right. it becomes another sort of thing. I, I know. I I find that uh, sort of a curious thing because I do variations of that, uh, you know, in, di- in different contexts. But I uh, and it, it does kind of show you that, 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 like, meditation really is a practice, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that, that we are, you know, that chatter is coming into us all the time and, and what the heck to do about it.
3: So, more money. Who, who is making art? Who isn't?
1: Well, that's, that's one of the things. I, I heard this recently. I can't remember what the, even the context was, but people, there's a trend of people deconveniencing their homes, mm. you know, just, just to kind of get back into kind of feeling things. And that's one of the things that I find really exciting <clears throat> and interesting about our project winding up as an LP. Because it is kind of deconveniencing. Like, we could just as easily put it out on an MP3 and streamed it or whatever, and then, mm-hmm. you know, it just goes into the shuffle. But people have to make an effort to listen to it. Some people say, well, I don't, I, I don't have a record player. Get one. You sure. know, it's huh. like there was there was a cliché. There used to be a cliché about, like, you know, as an artist would you know, have a piece of work up and someone would say, ah, it doesn't go over my couch. Well, get a new couch. You, you know, and, and so, so, so that whole thing where, 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 and that's the beauty, and I think one of the things that echoes the film, uh, which I don't think we've mentioned here, the, the film was never distributed on DVD or VHS, that people had to make an effort to go see it. You mm-hmm. know, and I mean, to me, that type of thing where, where, where you're kind of insisting on dedicated listening you're 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 insisting on dedicated viewing, that starts to <clears throat> kind of combat this saturation a little bit, where where it's not just something that's just flowing around in you know in the whole miasma of things.
3: Then uh, I think I want I want to make sure I get the movement right because that statement actually gonna be appointed to I want to say Art Nouveau.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: How how they how. I, w- I want to say Art Nouveau, because I'm trying to make sure I don't get Arts and Craft and Art Nouveau mixed up.
1: Art Nouveau is a style in France.
3: Then that's it. How they was okay with yeah, it's conti- co- yeah, contemporary it's material to constantly Yeah, and it's, I could
1: see why you, it, it paves the way to a lot of the modern fantasy stuff, like the aesthetic, they, they often point to that period as... You know, like uh, rock album covers used to use it in the '60s. They, they, you know, a lot of the lettering, yeah. like great, yeah. great designs, dead. and like, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. A lot of them are still used to this day. Yeah, yeah. How um, during that time, a lot of art nouveau was just constantly being pushed out, pushed out, right. pushed out, and it started to get so saturated that the amazing stuff was getting lost right. in the saturation. Mm-hmm. And that's what that statement is literally mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. A lot of art is getting lost in saturation. Mm-hmm. A lot of Disney movies went, are getting lost in a lot of saturation.
2: <laughs> the thing that's kind of striking me about like, this quote is the whole, you know, art is no longer possible. Um, because I feel like that starts to beg the question of, or, like the internal question of like what is art? Mm-hmm. You know? And similar to what you know, Tony was saying, I, I do feel you know, art is very subjective and kind of intrinsic to each individual. So, like, it's it's just interesting to me because, you know, then you start to ask, like, well, why do we have it in our schools? And why, you mm-hmm. know, why am I getting a degree? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, mm-hmm. why am I why am I choosing that as a profession? And stuff, mm-hmm. so. What's the answer um, to that? I, <laughs> um, I'm i gonna have to think about it for a minute. <laughs> what I think the
1: answer is, <coughs> is, is when, when I'm asked that, Oftentimes, the reason why, and it's a cliche. Well, you can't teach art, right? We've all heard that. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the re- but the reason why you have art school is because you can solve a problem. Sometimes just over a conversation like this, that might take you 10 years on your own to solve, because you're around, you know, kind of people working out similar problems. Like like the technique and the craft and stuff like that. Yes. You know that can be sort of taught, but I mean, the, the kind of the deeper thinking, the, the the ways that are kind of going beyond convention, I right. think it's because you kind of put yourself into a place where, where people are kind of singing out of the same songbook, you know, right. and 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 that's the most, uh, that's the 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 strongest answer that I would stand behind.
2: Okay.
1: Any other kind of insights that you want to talk about? Now we had we had the exhibition up; it was only up for a short period of time. We're actually having this interview. Uh, just moments after taking the show down, the show went up on uh, Thursday or Friday of whatever that day was. Was that the 18th or something? And now it's the 24th, so it was up just it was the 19th. 19th. So five or six days, but mostly the show was about the opening, which was you know well very well attended and a lot of energy there. Uh, I'm getting people uh, writing me every day with feedback. Uh, you know this having a really good experience and I think we awesome. we kind of really displayed a lot of things in that uh, in the whole whole event where, where we have all these disciplines you know we have music we have communications we have English we have art we have sound we have music and and we also you know we also showed and presented all this in a in a, in a space that one of our uh, uh, current alums, current graduates named Brian Egan started and you know he, it's a really uh, formidable space and uh, so it was really a great kind of event for all sorts of reasons and I kind of look at it as sort of a starting or launching point for, for these guys that I'm interviewing right here as kind of their debut. And what I was just maybe just a final thing just leave you know wide open if, you, if there's any kind of thoughts or thoughts you had have maybe new thoughts you've had. You know, through the process. I mean, I was one thing I wanted to tip in. And this is an awkward place to tip it in, but I, I was really impressed with when you, Tony, were talking with, uh, with Larry, uh, Clark about the film, and you were sensing some of the mythology in the film stuff that you were dealing with with your own drawings, and and he confirmed that yes, that was happening in the film, and you guys got really excited. I thought that was a pretty cool moment in the in the discussion and I mean that that kind of comes back to that thing I was talking about earlier where where there is this language that's happening whether it's in the music or within the film that you you know you kind of know culturally and and I thought that was a really uh, good moment. So we're coming to the end of our time and just wanted to say a couple of words uh, some thank yous again to John Lane for inviting us here and to my artists Tim Short, Tony Sasser Jr, Chris Emanuel, Anessa Wedderburn and Kevin O'Neill Peart uh, I'd also like to thank my colleague Alessandro Rango, who invited me and initiated this entire Liquid Blackness project. It was a unexpected, uh, amazing kind of journey and odyssey, and wound up uh, having some really great creative experiences and initiating uh, some new ideas. You know, it's always fun to work with musicians and people outside of my respected area. So, anyway, just uh, wanted to say thank you once again. And, uh, hope to. S- be back on this podcast someday soon.
0: And with that, we conclude this episode of Standing in the Stream, Conversations with Creatives. Again, I'm your host, John Lane. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Lane. You can find the show links and show notes on my website, john-lane.com, and follow the show on Facebook, Simply search for Standing in the Stream. Thanks to Danny Clay for our theme music. You can find him online at dclaymusic.com. I'll be back next time for more conversations with creatives. Thanks for listening.